Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the CBS News Roundup ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This is the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Coming up, record-breaking deadly heat in a third of the nation. We've got a very dangerous situation. The world pays tribute to a singer-singer. Oh, it's wonderful. In the Kaleidoscope with Allison Key segment, The Big Sort, a nation segregating itself for like-minded neighbors. The sort of the political homogeneity is, is, is terrifying. I'm Allison Keyes in Washington. From asphalt that will burn you to triple-digit temperatures that have been going on for weeks to tornadoes and severe storms, the nation is dealing with weather so extreme it seems unreal. The problem is global, with wildfires raging in southern Europe and Canada and searing temperatures from Italy to Asia to Greece. We begin our coverage with CBS's Carter Evans. Got a very dangerous situation. It's scenes like this in Phoenix that make this heat wave especially hellish. A fire at a propane business, tanks exploding into the air right near the city's Sky Harbor Airport on Thursday. Unfortunately, on a hot day like this, these propane tanks with that expansion of heat, they literally become missiles. You can audibly hear them exploding. Uh, they can travel upwards of 500 yards. So far, the cause of the fire is unknown. The heat in Phoenix is on a record run, now more than three weeks in a row of temperatures above 110. It sounds as though it'll be several more days to a week before we see it go below 110 degrees in Phoenix. So this record will be crushed, not just broken. (laughs) In Death Valley, California, where so-called heat tourists have been flocking in hopes of experiencing a world record temperature, a 71-year-old man was found dead near a hiking trail. Authorities say it was likely heat-related. With temperatures expected to hit 120 or higher in Palm Springs, Gasper Gonzalez and his construction crew have to hydrate. Drink a lot of water and, and they got a break when they need it. The surface temperature of the street they're working on is 142 degrees. And what happens when it gets to 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon? We'll quit. <laughs> That's about quitting time. Emergency rooms across the Southwest have seen a big spike in heat-related visits over the last week, and there is not much relief in sight. These high triple-digit temperatures are expected to continue through the weekend. Carter Evans, CBS News, Palm Springs, California. The unhoused, the elderly, and children are among those most at risk from unrelenting temperatures. We asked Dr. Gary Kirkulis at Phoenix Children's how the long heat wave is affecting kids. You know, it's, it's really difficult uh, because during the summer, that's when schools are, right? And parents are struggling to find ways to keep their, their children entertained and happy. But outside is, is clearly not an option when it's 116 degrees. Um, so it, it is quite a struggle to, to keep the little ones occupied and safe. 
because, you know, as short a time as a half hour spending that time in 116 degrees, uh, you can you can overheat pretty quickly. Does the heat affect children's bodies differently than it does adults? It absolutely does. You know, adults, we have this mechanism of sweating and dispersing our heat off of us. Children can do that, but not to the extent that adults can. So typically we get kids heating up faster. The other thing that happens with kids is they they typically go full tilt. You know, they're outside, they're running, they're having a good time. Um, and they sort of need us to, to, to kind of cool them off and slow them down. Um, they can get themselves into trouble. What kind of signs should a parent look for to know, okay, I need to get my kid into air conditioning or a pool or somewhere right now? So, you know, the, the, the typical um, uh, signs of a kid that's overheating would be kind of a flushed face, you know, excessive sweating, and they kind of look fatigued, like they just ran a mile. Um, if it progresses on, they might get signs of like nausea, vomiting. Um, that's sort of your typical uh, heat exhaustion. When it turns into heat stroke, that's when we start getting these mental status changes where they seem very listless. Um, they're not themselves. Um, you ask them questions, they don't really respond. They don't know where they are. Um, that's that's definitely a time where you need to head to the emergency room. If I'm outside with my kid at a playground and he or she starts, as you said, being unable to respond, we need to get in the car instantly or we need to call 911? Um, I would say probably... Uh, that's a hard one to say. I, I, I would probably call 911. If he's not responsive, that's that's a 911 call. Hopefully, though, um, if you kind of keep your, your antennas up and you start noticing that, you know, hey, we've been outside for longer than a half hour. Um, he just seems kind of, you know, listless, not like, you know, very fatigued. That's time to get into air conditioning, you know, cool air, water, so that you don't get to that point. Is it better to, to keep a child inside when, when temperatures are, are this dangerous? Yes. I mean, it, it, it's, it's kind of a complex question, right? Cause you, the reality is, you know, kids aren't going to be able to hang out inside all day. Right. Um, so you want it to kind of tailor your, your schedule to times when it's going to be most cool outside. So those outdoor activities are best done like early morning or late evening. Um, and then try to limit it to a half hour. Definitely want to avoid the hottest parts of the day, which can be around noon to like two or even here in Phoenix up to like four or 5 PM. So this is not the time to be out playing baseball. It's the time to be sitting in the shade or under or in a pool or something like that. Exactly. But, you know, if if you're going to do those activities, try to limit them to around a half hour. And additionally, you want to have an escape plan. So um, if, if that if that that half hour doesn't, you know, leads to um, a long car ride home, then you get yourself in a kind of a, a sketchy situation because um, you want to be able to get into, light, you know, cool air quickly and um, and, and water and all those things aren't, aren't immediately available in your car. So if it's going to be an outdoor activity, half hour, and then it should be somewhere near your home so you can get back to air conditioning. And I've got to ask the obligatory question about kids and cars because there's been so much of that, it seems like, this year. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, sadly, uh, it, we, we, we have children that will, will, will die as a result of being left in cars. Um, and, 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 and people don't understand that while it might be in your part of, of this world, it might be 80 degrees or 90 degrees outside, but the way that sort of the, the, the heat works is it gets trapped inside your car and it can quickly go up to 120. So take that same scenario in places that are hot, like Florida and, and Phoenix, where it's 110 outside, um, it can quickly get up to like over 120, 130, um, and uh, it, it could lead to fatal consequences, unfortunately. That's Dr. Gary Kirkalis at Phoenix Children's. Farm workers are another community at risk, gathering crops along rows with no protection against the heat. WFOR-TV's Ivan Taylor in Florida, where at least two have died. The Farm Worker Association of Florida at their homestead office held a vigil for 29-year-old Efrain Lopez Garcia, 
who, according to his brother, died of heat stress while doing something similar to these farm workers, allegedly being exposed to heat for hours at a farm in Homestead on July 6. This announcement happened a day after Miami-Dade County Commission passed unanimously the first reading of a law that urges farmers to provide water, shade, and rest to farm workers to avoid more deaths like Lopez Garcia's. We need to press our legislators and our representatives. We have been trying for two years already trying to pass the Heat Preventive Illness Act bill. We, as an organization, we go to Tallahassee, we advocate, we talk to representatives, legislators, please vote in favor to this bill. It's mainly educating the community and the employers. Two years have gone by and nothing. Coming up, the latest on Hunter Biden. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. On Capitol Hill this week, two agents from the IRS testified about their role in the federal investigation of Hunter Biden. The president's son is expected to plead guilty to two misdemeanor tax crimes next week. But in an exclusive interview with CBS's Catherine Herridge, the lead case agent said the evidence supports more serious charges. Do you solemnly swear? The special agent Joseph Ziegler is a 13-year veteran of the IRS, a registered Democrat and until now a confidential whistleblower. I do. He publicly testified about his role investigating the president's son, Hunter, for tax crimes. I'm the main case agent. I worked 95 percent of this tax investigation. So nice to meet you. In an exclusive interview with CBS News, Ziegler told us he believed the evidence he gathered during the five-year probe supported multiple felony and misdemeanor counts, including allegations Hunter Biden wrote off personal expenses as business payments. Hotels he was blacklisted from, payments that were made to escorts, Payments that are made to no-show employees. Ziegler said he drafted this memo recommending Justice Department prosecutors charge Hunter Biden accordingly. But he said the Trump-appointed U.S. attorney David Weiss told him there was resistance to pursuing some of these charges by other officials at the Justice Department. It's a matter of are we treating all taxpayers the same? And in this case? And in this case, no, I don't think so. Democrats push back on claims of preferential treatment. There is no evidence that Hunter Biden has received any kind of official favoritism in this prosecution for being Joe Biden's son. But Ziegler described to CBS News a series of roadblocks that included his efforts to interview Hunter Biden's adult children about the legitimacy of his tax deductions. What did the assistant U.S. attorney tell you? That that's going to get us into hot water. Ziegler also told us prosecutors would not sign off on pursuing leads that might involve President Biden. Anytime we potentially wanted to go down the road of 
asking questions related to the president, it was, that's going to take too much approvals. We can't ask those questions. It's a politically sensitive case. Wouldn't it require additional approvals? Yes, I do understand that. But it would be like, well, let's think about it. Let's put that on the back burner. And it would now move down to item number 50. This probe was ongoing during the 2020 election when Justice Department policy limited some investigative steps. The U.S. attorney in Delaware has told Congress twice he had the ultimate decision-making authority. President Biden has consistently denied involvement in his son's business deals. And Hunter Biden's legal team said any claim the probe wasn't thorough is preposterous. Catherine here at CBS News, Washington. Turning now to a sign of the times in the nation as a growing number of millennials and Gen Z women are choosing not to become parents. It is becoming an increasingly more popular choice. Cecile Palacios is in a committed relationship, has a successful fitness career, and at age 40 does not plan to have children. We as women are able to live fuller lives in general, and I think that that's why the child-free movement is happening. Social media topics like childless by choice, motherhood is not for everyone, are getting lots of likes from like-minded people. A 2021 Pew Research Center survey shows Palacios is not alone. 44% of non-parents ages 18 to 49 say it is not too likely or not likely at all that they will have children someday, up seven percentage points from 2018 survey. Reasons for not having children range from medical and financial to concerns about the state of the world and the environment. And most simply say they just don't want to. No one can afford kids. That's a big thing. Affording children is really, really hard. Experts say choosing not to have children is becoming more socially accepted, in part because the family makeup is changing. Dr. Paula England is Dean of Social Science at NYU Abu Dhabi. For decades and decades, there was an assumption that to be an adult um, in our culture, you had to be married and you had to have kids. And I think that assumption is kind of falling away. It's a welcome shift for many Gen Z and millennial women like Palacios. Even though I've seen wonderful examples of motherhood, I think not enough space is held for there being more than one kind of definition of a woman. Palacios has carved out her own space and hopes every woman can choose theirs. Naomi Ruckham, CBS News. The world has lost a beloved golden voice. The legendary Tony Bennett died Friday morning at the age of 96. A singer-singer, known for his deft handling of the standards, but also his deep affinity for pop culture. CBS's Danya Backus has this remembrance. I left my San Francisco. Tony Bennett may have left his heart in San Francisco, but his road to fame started in New York. Oh, it's wonderful. Anthony Dominic Benedetto was born in Queens in 1926. He started singing as a child and eventually got a job as a singing waiter. But his big break came in 1949 when Pearl Bailey asked him to open for her. Sitting in the audience was Bob Hope, who was so impressed he took the young singer under his wing. Well, he said, what's your real name? I said, Anthony Dominic Benedetto. He said, well, that's too long for the marquee. He said, let's, 
Let's Americanize it and call you Tony Bennett. Taking a chance on love. Tony Bennett went on to have a string of hits in the 50s and 60s. I walk along the street of Sodom. And spent the next decades performing to sold-out crowds. That lovely day. Although the old standards were Bennett's specialty, he always stayed close to pop culture. Now you know, guys, this is MTV. It's Tony Bennett. Hey, good to see you. But music was not his only talent. Bennett also became a respected painter using his real name, Benedetto. When I get just a little tired of singing, I paint. And when I get tired of painting, I sing. Anything goes! In his later years, Bennett recorded duets with popular artists like Lady Gaga and Amy Winehouse, attracting a younger generation of fans. In 2021, Bennett's family revealed the legendary singer was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease four years earlier, but had chosen to keep the diagnosis a secret. Bennett's wife explained why to CBS This Morning's Gail King. He always likes to say he's in the business of making people feel good. And so he never wanted the audience to know if he had a problem. But obviously, you know, as long, you know, as things have progressed, it's, it becomes more and more obvious when you interact with Tony that there's something up. How do you keep... Bennett's career spanned seven decades, earning him 20 Grammy Awards. He performed to audiences in cities around the world, but he'll forever be linked to one. San Francisco. Donya Backus, CBS News. We'll shine for me. Coming up, the government admits failing to protect a black migrant child who died in Border Patrol custody. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. For the first time this week, U.S. Customs and Border Patrol admits to CBS News that it failed to protect an eight-year-old girl who became the first migrant to die in the agency's custody back in May. Her family says their pleas for help were ignored because they are black. They spoke with CBS's Lilia Luciano. If they had called the ambulance sooner, you know your daughter would be here. Mabel Alvarez says she lost count of the times she begged for an ambulance to take her eight-year-old daughter, Anadit, to the hospital over multiple days. When they finally wanted to call the ambulance, the ambulance took about five minutes. That's when I realized how close the hospital was to us and that they could have done something. The family, originally from Honduras, migrated to Panama, where Anadit was born. Mabel and her husband Russell say their situation there became unlivable and felt forced to migrate north. They took a five-month journey across Mexico. Russell says they were trying to avoid all dangers along the way to keep their three children happy and safe. The day we were crossing the river, she grabbed my hand happy. Daddy, daddy, let's go. Let's go to grandma. She's going to buy me a doll. He says when they crossed the border into Brownsville, Texas, they thought they were finally somewhere safe. The problem was crossing and being in Texas. The Border Patrol there was our nightmare. The five went to a U.S. detention center in Donna, Texas, where Anadit got sick and tested positive for the flu. They were then moved to a Border Patrol station in Harlingen, Texas, for isolation. There were other sick kids there and very cold, so that made her get worse. 
Preliminary U.S. Customs and Border Protection findings confirmed that the family repeatedly requested medical attention, including an ambulance for Anadit, who suffered from sickle cell anemia and had a heart condition. Mabel says she had the paperwork to prove her daughter's medical issues and showed them to officials. A patrol agent didn't believe me. He stood in front of my daughter and told her, tell me how you can't breathe because a girl that can't breathe would be passing out and you're not passing out, you're fine, he told my daughter. And my daughter said, I'm getting a little strength just to explain I can't breathe, not in my mouth nor my nose. And he told her, you're fine. The preliminary findings also found the family requested medical attention at least nine times. A nurse contractor denied at least three requests to call an ambulance and also didn't properly record medical visits. And the cameras at the facility were not working. It also found officials failed to consult an on-call pediatrician. The day Anadit died, Mabel says she knocked on the infirmary's door many times. They told me no. They wouldn't call an ambulance until she passed out, not before. The last time Abel went to seek medical help for her daughter, she was turned away. And before getting back to her cell, Anadith had a seizure and collapsed. Russell saw it all happen. I looked at my daughter and I said to myself, my daughter is saying, Daddy, I can't go on. They killed me. I can't go on. The look in her eyes. She just looked at me and she was gone. She was sick and I told her, baby, there's your daddy. Look at him. The doctors were looking at me and said, what happened? I told them, you've already killed my daughter. A CBP official concedes the system failed her, saying, quote, there were many parts of the system that did not function as designed to protect Anadith. That official says reforms are underway to ensure those errors don't occur again. They felt superior to me, as though I'm black and you're white. I was discriminated the whole time. Gerlin Joseph founded the Haitian Bridge Alliance, an organization focusing on helping people of African descent at the U.S.-Mexico border. When it comes to black people, when it comes to little black girls and little black boys, it's not the same compassion. This administration said that it would treat immigrants more humanely. Has it? Is it? No. We hoped, we believed in that promise, um, but that hasn't been the case. In response to prior allegations of racial discrimination, U.S. Customs and Border Protection has stated there is no room in the agency for discrimination or intolerance. It's still difficult for me. I miss her at night. I remember her as a loving child. She dreamed of so many things. She had big dreams for herself. Lilia Luciano, CBS News. Now to Ukraine, where Russian forces are targeting grain facilities, threatening food supplies in nations facing hunger. CBS's Charlie Daggett. Russian cruise missiles and drones have turned Ukraine's black seaports into a battlefield, engulfing whole neighborhoods in a raging inferno of twisted metal and rubble. Some of the heaviest bombardment the cities of Odessa and Mykolaiv have seen since the start of the invasion. The Kremlin calls it retaliation for the attack on the bridge to Crimea. But time to coincide with Russia's pullout of an agreement allowing safe passage of Ukrainian grain from these very ports. 
Ukraine says strikes on a grain terminal destroyed 60,000 tons of grain, enough to feed 300,000 people. Moscow now threatening that any ship caught passing through those waters will be considered a legitimate military target. And in another emerging development, the apparent appearance of Wagner chief Yevgeny Prigozhin in neighboring Belarus, addressing his forces, trash-talking Russian frontline troops as a disgrace and hinting that when the time comes, he and his fighters will return to the battlefields of Ukraine. And now U.S. officials confirm Ukrainian forces have begun using those controversial U.S.-supplied cluster munitions for the first time. Charlie Daggett of CBS News, Kiev. Wildfires are burning forests around the globe, causing billions in damage. But German scientists are using technology to stop them before they spread out of control. The hot summer is fueling wildfires from California to the shores of the Mediterranean. German scientist Jürgen Müller knows where there's smoke, there's fire. His company developed a sensor to sniff out flames so firefighters can snuff them out before they grow. He says, we're making a fire to test our sensors to see how sensitive they are. Hundreds of the devices, dubbed electronic noses, dot this forest in eastern Germany. The solar-powered sensors scan the landscape. A built-in gas detector identifies gases emitted by fire. In his lab, he uses artificial intelligence to teach the device to distinguish smoke from different types of burning trees. The sensors can spot a fire in minutes. Ian Lee, CBS News. Coming up in the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keyes segment, just how deep does the nation's political divide go? That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys segment, where every week we discuss issues including gender. This time we're talking about the so-called big sort, a phenomenon where people in the nation are segregating themselves by location based on politics. But is this a thing? And if it is, what does it mean for the future? We asked political science professor Ryan Strickler at Colorado State University, Pueblo, what he thinks, and also to explain the idea. The term big sort comes from actually a book that um, an author named Bill Bishop wrote, um, uh, and I want to say 12 years, 13 years ago, and it refers to uh, the increasing, increasing um, partisan divide along geographic lines. So, um, you know, Democrats increasingly are concentrated in urban areas. Republicans are increasingly concentrated in more, more rural areas. And um, uh, more so than in the past, you could really draw like a, like a neat fit line, right. Between, you know, kind of like how urban a, an area is and how democratically in an area is. And increasingly we um, live in communities that are, that are more 
um, politically homogenous than before, right? You know, we have we have less neighbors that are uh, that are of a different party or of a different ideology. Um, we we um, encounter people that are different than us politically less and less often often in the in the grocery store or on the street or whatnot. And and, that, and that's just what the big sort refers to, like this this increasing partisan divide across geography. And a lot of researchers, you know, I've done some research and others try to explain like. Why are we seeing this sort? Why are we seeing this this increasing partisan divide? What's what's driving that? And and also, what are the consequences? Both of those are excellent questions because, you know, I'm I'm curious. Is it about some people say it's about the pandemic? Some people say it's about the 2020 election. Some people say it's just strictly Democratic and Republican. What what do you think it is? So so my thought is it's easy to overstate how much like moving choices and like migration choices drive the big sort. Um, you know, most people, I, I'm trying to think of the exact statistics, but it's, you know, maybe, you know, 10-ish percent of people move every year. So most people aren't, aren't moving all the time. And um, often when people do move, they're moving, you, know, you move because of a job, right? You move because of family or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, um, and so, so I think I think a bigger driver is just uh, the shifting platforms of the parties, right? You know, so more so than in the past, um, you know, our, pars- our parties are divided on on racial issues, religious issues, culture war issues, uh, and and those sorts of issues kind of more cleanly divide divide urban and rural populations than than maybe um, you know kind of economic issues or size of government issues that that were kind of. I guess maybe before the civil rights era, right? That kind of divided divided the parties, um, and, um, and and so so I think it's like less so people moving because of politics or moving to to modern, I mean, although that does happen, right? But but the kind of the bigger driver of of the big sort of of this kind of partisan divide we see is, is the the shifting party platforms drawing in and attracting different people, and it has like in a way that has geographic relevance. You said in some article I read it was something like. Well, Democrats want to live where there are craft breweries yeah. and Republicans want to live where there are big yards. But it's not that simple, right? It's not, okay, I need my gun and my and my compound bow to hunt deer and, oh, I need my skateboarding and that kind of thing. It's, it's not that simple? No, no, it's, it's not. I mean, so I, I think... Um... So so it's complex, right? So I would say that, that um, I mean, there 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 is... I mean, you've had to draw like a, a pie chart of, of how much the partisan geographic divide is is caused by different different causes um you know I, i'd say the lion's share is is this shifting party platforms attracting different people in different geographies um i i think some i mean like like a, a smaller percentage of it but some is driven by by migration right and and um and by kind of um the choices of where people live so and that and most people um when when they move right they like while they it may be increasing in recent years, most people don't move just because of politics, right? Most people, most people are, aren't as maybe politically attuned as you and I, perhaps, or they're they're again they're, they're they move for different reasons, and and they're not moving strictly because they they want to move to a to a red area or blue area explicitly. Um, but a lot of times, people make migration choices and moving choices based on the lifestyles they prefer, right? So, you know, um, and, and that's correlated with politics. Uh, you know, for, I mean, that, that's kind of like the sort of, uh, maybe a bad stereotypical example, but, but um, you know, the, those Democrats tend to um, want to live in more urban spaces, want to live in more walkable spaces. Survey data shows that. Republicans tend to want to live in more spread out spaces, spaces with, you know, where they, they kind of have 
more space to room, maybe a bigger yard and things like that. And survey data points to that too. And, um, and, and so to the extent that moving choices and migration, migration are driving the big sword, it's more choices based on lifestyle that are correlated with part, partisanship and politics, not, and is less so explicitly moving because I, I want to get away from, I don't know, Gavin Newsom or Ron DeSantis or whatever else, right? I think it's pretty interesting that you said that because some of the articles I've read basically suggest, well, I want to live in a city or in a block or in a neighborhood where everyone else thinks like me, everyone else looks like me, everyone else believes in abortion rights, as opposed to people that are like, I want to live in a place where everyone thinks like me. I am not pro-abortion rights. I am, you know, I am pro-gun, I am whatever. But I feel like I'm the daughter of a teacher, right? I mean, it's, it, it can't be good necessarily for people to live in the equivalent of an echo chamber, right? Where everyone thinks the same thing? Oh, of course not. Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm an educator as well, right? And, and and when you have diversity, a lack of uh, intellectual diversity in the classroom, it's uh, people are learning less, people are growing less, you know? And and I think you can draw the same analogy for our, our communities when they become more, more and more politically homogenous. Um, uh, there's... Um, you know, you, you, when, when you when you don't you go and you you don't encounter somebody that's not like you politically um, in your neighborhood and, and and on the street, and then you do, and increasingly with media fragmentation, you don't you don't see these perspectives in the media either. Um, the the other side starts to look like aliens, right? They start to look like not just some some set of opponents that that you contest politically, but you know, they're like the people that are different, completely different from them. You like maybe even like. I don't know, subhuman in a sense, or like, or like not like kind of like completely alien to, to you and like all these different facets because you don't, you don't see them, you don't know them, you don't, you, you're just less likely to recognize their, their common humanity. Um, I, again, though, I mean, I, I would say like, I mean, you, you can find examples of, of, of people making these, these moving choices explicitly because of politics. So there's, there's a website called, um, uh, it's called conservative moves or it's like if you go to conservative moves dot 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 com where where it's explicitly premised on on moving people from liberal cities to to more conservative cities and like they they, they hook you up with realtors to help with that and whatnot um but but that that's that's the minority right i mean i think i think you can find anecdotes but but the majority of people like again they're 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 making moving decisions based on jobs or making moving decisions based on family kind of material concerns you cost of living good schools etc cetera, etc cetera. and to the extent that they have like more agency than that it's often more like lifestyle choice choices that are correlated with politics as opposed to i want to get explicitly get away from this policy regime and then this policy regime and into this policy regime so you think that the people are suggesting that this is a growing and worrying problem are kind of overstating what's going on because a lot of the stuff I've seen out there suggests that people are moving for everything from for race to income to you know who who do you think they're going to vote for in the 2024 election which sounds frankly terrifying I think that the 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 sort of the political homogeneity is is, is terrifying right I, I I agree with that like I think it's um you know the the I mean it's completely true that they, they are, our communities are our congressional districts, our counties go up to the state level, like our, our, you know, kind of all these geographies are getting, getting more homogenous. And, 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 and that's worrying. And, and that feeds a vicious cycle of polarization too, right? You know, you kind of, you know, if you um, a community or say a congressional district or whatever geography you want to pick becomes more homogenous, these people, like it's, it's just, 
kind of a rule of psychology, right? Like kind of they're, they're they're interacting with each other, talking to each other, and they become they become more polarized, right? They become more kind of kind of extreme in the direction that they they their 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 pre-existing tendencies. So um so so that 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 is where I mean I I I, I certainly worry about that. Um I, I guess um uh I it's maybe it's maybe a more subtle point. I, I think I would argue it's, it's maybe less explicitly driven by by explicit moving choices based on explicitly on politics um i, I mean maybe a parallel right is like i remember after 2016 you know um there's there's some folks on the left that said i'm moving to canada right you know i'm, I'm getting away i'm i'm i, mean, I can't I can't live here and, and and very few people actually did move to canada right like it's moving is a big deal moving is a huge decision and so it's like um and and it's it's not it's a minority of folks that are that are that politics and partisanship are going to be the explicit reason they, they make that decision. Let me just ask you one more. If this sure. con- if this continues over the next few years, what do you think that's going to mean for the nation? Oh man, we're going, going dark on this question. <laughs> it's, I, I, I think it's, it's, um, it's, it's worrying. I, I, I do, um, I, I do worry about our, 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 our nation's ability you know, given the high level of polarization we have, our nation's ability to to talk to each other, you know, much less resolve the the pressing issues we have to resolve in our country, and to the extent that that we become more and more geographically sorted, that kind of the big sort continues, um, and the more and more we we don't encounter, and much less have a chance to talk to others on the other side. Um, you know, that polarization is going to go on going increase, and that that sort of gridlock and inability to address the issues we need to address in our country is only going to to get worse. Um, uh, so it's um, no, no. I, 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 I hope for the best, but 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 it's but it's yeah. I, I worry for sure. That's Professor Ryan Strickler at CSU Pueblo. Coming up, haven't made your vacation plans yet? We've got some pretty good tips. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. Haven't made your vacation plans yet? It seems you can still find an affordable flight. Amanda Pullen's summer vacation was in serious doubt with airfares to Europe at a six-year high. We were kind of putting our vacation on hold because that was really expensive. And so I just kind of kept looking at the airline prices and all of a sudden this $300 flight popped up. The Dallas resident and her husband are going to Greece, but getting there required a night in Washington and connecting through London on upstart budget airline North Atlantic. With the three different flights, the three different hotels, it was only like $600 compared to, um, for the two of us, it would have been $2,400 to fly directly to Athens. While 64% of people say high inflation affected their 4th of July plans, and have your passport ready. airports saw record numbers of flyers, so finding a deal now requires flexibility. Follow the deal to those destinations that are less expensive now, and you can get a lot more for your travel budget. Airfare tracking site Hopper says the best deals right now are on domestic flights. Las Vegas, Miami, and Denver can be found for less than 100 bucks. Internationally, Montego Bay, Jamaica for under 300, Iceland and Dublin for about 500. Nick Tubolino traded the flights and hotel rooms for an all-inclusive cruise to Bermuda. It's so convenient, you know, you just get right on board, you go to your room and everything's right there for you. So there's really not much that goes into it. And if you can push your summer vacation to September or October, experts say you may have a better shot at finding a deal that takes you overseas. 
Chris Van Cleve, CBS News, Phoenix. But what if you want, say, a beach house? There's still a chance to get a hot rental on some cool dicks by the sand. Here along the Jersey Shore, the summer vacation season is in full swing, but the rental market is telling a different story. Have you ever had a problem renting out your house? We've never had a problem renting. Not like this. Rory Steinell and his wife have successfully rented out this beachside home for almost two decades. During COVID and up until last year, he says demand was through the roof, allowing them to raise prices and fully book. So how many weeks do you still have open to rent? We've got about two. That's only after cutting prices. Across the country, popular summer vacation spots have all seen a decline in occupancy compared to last year. Jamie Lane is the chief economist at AirDNA. He says an uptick in international travel and new rentals on the market have created more options for renters. We're seeing competition heat up. It's definitely moving more towards a a renter or guest market. Industry experts say there's still time to get a deal. Look for last-minute discounts, negotiate rental prices, and don't book weekend stay. Meg Oliver, CBS News, Manasquan, New Jersey. Hey, Barbie fans, some of you in Wisconsin got an early look at the flick opening Friday. Fashion tip, you don't have a lot of color choices. WDJT-TV, Stephanie Rodriguez. I dressed for the occasion by wearing pink, and I wasn't the only one as hundreds came out to see Barbie's world on the big screen. We've either got uh, some fun heart glasses for you or an I heart Barbie pin. <laughs> From head to toe, it was the Barbie show. Well, movie. I've always had Barbies. My grandma collected Barbies back when they first came out. I mean, who didn't play with Barbies when they were a kid? I loved them. I'm a huge fan of Greta Gerwig, who's the director of the movie. I think for a while there was this notion that like Barbie is like too feminine or she's like too girly and like you grow out of the Barbie era of your life. And I think she was kind of like bringing that back of like why Barbie is such a feminist. These fans say Barbie isn't just a toy. She embodies inspiration and has helped generations think outside the box. Barbie is like such a strong and empowered woman. She has like 90 jobs. It's definitely something that really inspires us to do like as much as we can and like make sure that we have our full self and we're putting it all out there. I was always a Barbie girl, Barbie boy. I mean, I had every Barbie I could get my hands on as a kid. So she represents everything that a little girl or boy wants to be. And we can't forget Barbie's boyfriend. (laughs) What do you like about Ken? He... He's already uh, nice. But it's Margot Robbie as the titular role that had 300 moviegoers in the Malibu state of mind on Wednesday. She definitely reminds me so much of Barbie, and she like does so many things that makes her like be Barbie. Like she rocks all of her outfits. She does. Yeah. The movie runs just under two hours and has an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. Moviegoers told me that when it comes to Barbie, that you should expect the unexpected, and it's the must-see movie this summer. Finally, you may have noticed that between Barbie and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, this is a top toy movie summer. That means for some of us, it's time to hit a really cool store and stock up on some of our favorite things. This is always where my heart's been. I, I couldn't, I don't think I'd be happy at a desk job. I've always wanted to have a, a toy shop. And today, Matthew Powell has that with his totally rad toy house. There's E.T., Gremlins, awesome movies we grew up with. It's just the perfect job for him. As someone who literally wears his love of all things retro cool. This is actually from the end of Evil Dead 2. 
groovy. The 80s was the best time. No arguments for me there. And I don't have to tell you, toy sales aren't just child's play. It's big business, especially during a summer movie season like this one. If you look at the top 10 box office earners for 2023, what you'll find is that all 10 films are existing properties, known characters or known franchises. Number one, Super Mario Brothers. Number 10, Indiana Jones. And that's good news for a place like this. Oh yeah, nostalgia is a powerful thing. Right. And a lot of its reinvigorated interest in titles that have been around for more than 40 years or maybe a lot longer. People have known her name since 1959. While it remains to be seen what the Barbie film will do for sales in 2023, last year, the Barbie brand made $1.5 billion. Yeah, that's what we said. Barbie, we're getting a lot more people wanting to sell us Barbie collections because I think because of the movie, they think they can retire on it now. New summer films are also bringing toy boost for both Transformers and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtles is probably in the biggest boom it's been in since the early 90s when it was so big. Matthew says there's something key. They got the whole line here. To the continued interest in these properties after so many years. Parents share the things they grew up with with their children. Very old cartoons? Yeah, like 1990. I think. Hey, that's not old. And whatever toy, whatever properties next to see a renaissance. This is He-Man from Masters Universe, and this is Lion-O from Thundercats. Matthews, ready for it. WTVF-TV's Forrest Sanders in Nashville. That's it for the Weekend Roundup. Thanks for listening. We want to get your feedback. Send us your thoughts and story ideas to Weekend Roundup at cbsnews.com. As always, you can find the program online on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Sarah Fishman is a technical supervisor, and Alan Peng provides production assistance. Tara Lipinski is the executive producer. Have a great week. I'm Allison Keyes, CBS News. If you like CBS News Roundup, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus.